0: Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations. World-class whitetails.
1: Well, welcome everyone to the Chasing Giants podcast brought to you by Osseo Gear. Don Higgins, I'm Terry Peer. This episode is going to publish on January 28th. And Donna, we're at the end of January. We've both been on the consulting trail, but we're going to talk about that. But I just want to first say we got so much feedback from last week's episode where we shared pictures and kind of walked through hinge cutting that we're going to give this another couple weeks and try to get feedback. Again, we want to adapt this podcast to be a resource for people and show people what they want to see Uh, we know a lot of people only listen on the audio platform so we'll do our best to try to describe what we're looking at but i think uh you got a lot of positive feedback outside of the messages on uh, youtube and social media
0: yeah everybody liked those photos we posted last week and encouraged us to do it more so um we got some more to show this week and we'll we'll try to do that when the opportunity is there
1: this week we're going to do something a little bit interesting so again this is your warning if you're listening on an audio platform you might want to head over to youtube when we get to this section today don has picked out some very interesting trail camera pictures that he got there's been a camera that a couple cameras pulled that just stayed out the entire year you didn't even know these pictures were existence but there's a lot of topics around these trail camera pictures. There's some really good bucks in there. There's some funny pictures, and uh, we'll share those with you later in the podcast. Uh, before we do that, let's let's take an update about consulting trail visits. Anything interesting happened
0: this week? Yeah, I uh, looked at a property in Illinois. It was a repeat client. Um, young man had bought 40 acres um, a few years ago and had me look at it. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. It was probably three four years ago and he added acreage to that property and had me come back he he said that it just totally changed my first visit not only totally changed his farm but the way he hunts every property that he hunts and and he bought another 156 acres that butts up to that original 40. a lot of it was ag field that he was willing to turn into to deer habitat and being a blank slate he wasn't sure where to start and uh, man i'll tell you what he's got an opportunity to, to really make that place something special. I told him it has the chance to be in the top 5% of all the properties I've ever seen. When, once it's all said and done, that plan's totally enacted. And, uh, I have no doubt he's going to do it. Just a, he's one of them young guys that you really respect because he's got a good work ethic. He's got goals. Uh, he's willing to work for his goals. He doesn't expect anything to be handed to him. He's willing to put in the time, the effort and, and make it happen. So, uh, That was really interesting this week.
1: Yeah. I was down in western Kentucky and met some really cool people. Austin Razor, he's kind of been my co-pilot. He goes a lot of times with me around to these uh, consulting visits. But we went down into western Kentucky and visited two dynamite farms, a small track and a big track. And it's amazing how the right property the acreage isn't necessarily the driving factor to make a property great. It helps, mm-hmm. but you've said on this podcast many times you'd rather have a smaller property in the right area in the right conditions than a big property in the wrong conditions.
0: Yeah, what lays around a property is more important than what's on it. Said that many times, and uh, you give me the right five or ten acres, and I'll take that over the wrong thousand acres. Uh you can do a lot with a small property if it's the right small property. You know, I think uh,
1: I would have made Bobby Worthington proud this last week. You know, it was those mornings that were about five degrees and we're walking these properties all bundled up. I had my big heavyweight Osseo coat on and face mask on because, you know, the snot was freezing to my mustache and it was all crystallized. up. It was just bitter, bitter cold. But we tried to stay moving and... I was back in, I saw this long finger running back where I thought, man, this would be fantastic bedding. It was in an area of the farm that we couldn't hunt because no access. So the theory was leave that as sanctuary since we can't do anything and pull them towards the area that we can hunt. You know, that's basically the foundation of what we try to do. And mm-hmm. I was back in looking for where a saddle was that they were going from one ridge top to another because we're in big hill country. And I happened to walk across this fresh deer pee spot that looked neon green. And out of all them woods, I found the only nuclear reactive pee in the whole woods. And I just thought that Bobby Worthington would be proud of me back in the woods finding (laughs) something like that.
0: (laughs) Yep. He's a woodsman for sure. You got to read all the sign you come across.
1: I was laughing about the color of it. And, you know, when you really got to thinking about it, you know, I think that when this much snow and ice, when we have, we talked about stress last week, you remember we Mm -hmm. were talking about not having any stress and antlers dropping. We had over a week solid of bitter sub, you know, down to around zero degrees, everything was frozen. And I can't help to think, I need to ask Dr. Strickland about this, but I can't help but think just the visual of that heavy color re- almost makes you think those deer are dehydrated even though they could probably eat snow mm-hmm. that they're not getting enough water when it's that cold out i don't know if that theory is true or not but you know what it's like when us humans get dehydrated and and that's a sign of it but i mm-hmm. wonder if that was the case with these deer not having much to
0: drink when it's when it's below freezing for so long well that's one i can't answer but uh dr strickland probably can Analyzing
1: the analyzing the color of pee related to dehydration. Uh, That'll be a new topic for uh, for maybe uh, maybe master uh, dealer event bingo. (laughs) There you go. He will be there, so we can ask him at that time. Yeah, but. Again, I think the the coolest part about our jobs through this time of year is the people we talk about it every week. Um, Before we get going, I got a a little bit of a prayer request to ask. Uh, We just got some news a little bit ago that some dear friends of ours who have been in the adoption process um, have now had their second adoption fall through. And these are this is a young couple that is just longing to have a child and, and raise them in church. And uh, and uh, unfortunately, due to some circumstances, the adoption has just fallen through tonight and it's just heartbreaking for them The baby's uh, about to be born in the next couple of days. So um, I'm not going to mention their name on the podcast, but it's it's hard to see good. Uh, God fearing servant leaders out there that are trying to give their all for the kingdom and help people. Um, I just have to think that they need encouragement from everyone that, you know, God's got a bigger plan. We don't understand it sometimes and we don't know what it is, but God's got a bigger plan. So keep, keep my friends in your prayers. It would mean a lot to them. So um, if it's all right, Don, we're going to change the order up here a little bit this week um, and kind of not have a big opening segment what i'd like to do if you're all right with it is let's go ahead and answer a couple questions then we'll look at these trail camera pictures through the middle of the episode and try to get some laughs out of some of these pictures that you found and then finish up with a couple longer questions that i think it might take a little bit longer to to answer is that all right with you
0: sounds good to me i think Um, that's the part people like the most anyways the questions so let's let them uh have it We'll see if they we'll see if they like these pictures
1: again. I'm kind of excited to explain it. There's a lot of talking points with these, so make sure you stick around, or bounce over to YouTube as uh, as we put these on the screen here in just a little
0: bit. But we'll go ahead and put question number one up. Uh, the first one comes from John Prattle from St. Louis, Missouri. It says, "Hi, Don and Terry. I acknowledge your stance against chronic wasting disease, CWD." and your support for supplemental feeding while expressing opposition to baiting. If you were leading the Department of Natural Resources, DNR, how would you formulate laws that permit supplemental feeding while preventing baiting? While I recognize the potential benefits of supplemental feeding for deer health, I am concerned that it may provide opportunities for individuals to exploit the system through baiting, whether it's legally allowed or not. God bless John. Well John, that's very easy. You just allow supplemental feeding outside of deer season and uh during the open hunting season, there's no feeding allowed. I think that's the best of all worlds and uh you know the big benefit there is that most people who are going to feed outside of season they're not just going to throw a corn pile out there they're they're going to be feeding you know a complete feed um enhanced with the right nutrients you know the right protein levels fat levels um, vitamins and minerals and all that (coughs) so i I think that is the key i think you're going to get a higher quality feed to your deer and you're not going to be doing it at a time where it can be you know referred to as baiting or attracting deer to get shot (coughs) terry what are you smirking about (laughs) You know, the one thing that I think
1: probably people have the misconception about me and you on this show is I'm the most pessimistic person probably that most people will meet. And you are probably the most good-hearted, believe the best in everyone of anyone that I know. And I look at this question and, and, and think about an answer, and I guess my statement would be, if a person's going to be unethical and break the law, it doesn't matter whether supplemental feedings legal or not. If it could be Mm -hmm. a state where it's banned, they're still going to be the type of people that bait, whether it's legal during the off season, breaking the law, Uh, regardless, those type of people are going to break the law no matter what. So I'm, I'm more pessimistic than Don is. If somebody is in a state (laughs) that allows supplemental feeding in the off season, and they're uh, they're the type to break the law and bait. They're probably the same people that, if there was no supplemental feeding at any time, are still going to bait the break the law and bait.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> to build on your observation of your uh, personality and mine, you, you know, <laughs> it, it just blows me away. <laughs> there you are, teeing me up again, aren't you? It, it just blows me away that. These people, on the, these haters on, on social media especially, uh, want to blast me. And, and if they knew me at all, they would know that I would go out of my way to help them if I could somehow. It, it, total strangers, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're shooting a, a crossbow or expandable broadhead. I, I would still do anything I could for them, treat them with respect. If people only <coughs> knew I gets how... how
1: I gets, if people only knew how much I pulled you back to stop giving the benefit of the doubt to people,
0: I know I be, should listen to you more. Be,
1: I mean, they would be shocked. I'm, I probably need to be a little bit more like you and you probably need to be a little bit like me somewhere in the middle. That's well, probably where we need to be at. But I mean, that's why we make uh, a good team, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think that, um, I think we're going to have another question a little bit later that's going to take a long time to answer. And that builds off of your video that got a lot of buzz on the Whitetail Master Academy about CWD and nutrition. And mm-hmm. we'll probably spend a lot of time talking about that. That's the other reason we're getting on to questions. But, you know, it, there's, there's going to be people that are pessimistic about doing anything extra above and beyond for the benefit of the doubt. And uh, there's always going to be people that are going to break the law no matter what it is. So I, I can't play all sides of it, if that makes sense.
0: Can't make everybody happy, can we? All right, question number two. All right, this one comes from William Davis from Memphis, Tennessee. He says, hey, guys, I enjoy the podcast and listen at work every Monday. I would like to get both of your thoughts on a new trend I'm seeing with deer hunters. It seems like every week there are a couple of new whitetail consultants popping up as well as new deer hunting podcasts all the time. It is as if every deer hunter who ever killed a 150-inch buck or planted a food plot is now trying to be a consultant or have a podcast. As experienced and successful consultants and podcast hosts yourselves, how do you both feel about this new trend of everyone becoming a consultant and having a podcast? Has it hurt your business at all? Keep up the great work. You know, William, I've had I've thought a lot about your question since I've seen it, and uh, <laughs> I, I have a couple of different ways to look at it. Um, first of all, I, I remember when I was a lot younger, working at a job, a factory job, and uh, there was guys there that were about 20 years older than me, and then there was new guys coming in that were about 20 years younger than me. So I was about 40, and I was working with guys that were 60, and I was working with guys that were 20. So I was right in the middle. And I remember the old guys getting fired up about the new guys coming in, and the, the, the thing that the old guys would complain about was that these new guys wanted to start out at the top. And the, the, the phrase they always used was they need to pay their dues first. They need to pay their dues. I, I heard that all the time. These guys have not paid their dues. They don't know the ins and outs of, what, of this business that we're doing, these machines that we're operating. They've never paid their dues. So on one hand, I look at it like these young guys coming on and trying to be consultants. Um, have they really paid their dues yet? And then the more I think about it, though, is it my place to say, have they paid their dues or not? You know, the, the people that are hiring them ought to be the ones to determine that. If someone's, you know, happy hiring a 20 year old kid that thinks he's a consultant, let him. um, and then the other thing I think about is, you know what? I was 20 once, or, or and I'm not saying all these new guys are 20. There's, there's some in their 30s and 40s, whatever. And, you know, I was those ages once, and I was chasing my dream just like these guys are chasing their dream. Who am I to tell these guys not to be chasing their dream? You know, I know a lot of people don't like me getting on political rants. There, there's plenty that do. I get a lot of positive feedback, but I also get some negative comments, too when I get on these political rants. And the reason that I'm so passionate about the politics of this country is because this country has allowed me, man, I'm telling you guys, I've just a, I was nothing but a skinny kid, farm boy, zero, um, personality. Um, (laughs) I just chasing a dream of one day, maybe making a living somehow hunting deer. And uh, had very little going for me except a dream that I chased and chased and chased. And finally, decades down the road, that dream happened. It, it became reality. And that, that could have never happened anywhere on this planet except the United States of America. No other country could some skinny little farm kid with a bad attitude chase his dreams and, and make it happen. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to rain on these new guys' parade. Um, if anything, I should be encouraging them. Um, you know, as far as them getting work and hurting our business, they have, I, I, they have not hurt my business whatsoever. I'm telling you what, the phone rings more every single year than it did the year before. So they've not hurt my business whatsoever. We've,
1: we've all been very blessed with the amount of people that want Absolutely. to work with
0: us. Absolutely. We are extremely blessed. And I've been to a lot of properties where the the client has previously hired other consultants and paid substantially less than what they paid me and and were not a bit happy. And just like the situation I explained earlier with the the young man that called me as a repeat client to look at his new acreage, I get a lot of repeat um, a business from my consulting, so you know it, it would be really easy for me to take and put a negative spin on this and say these guys need to pay their dues, like I heard so many older guys at at my old job say. But I I, I just got to encourage them guys because you know what I hope someday that they they put their they pay their dues and they're an old sixty year old guy like me. And, and I hope the whole world is looking up to them. They've, they've reached their dreams. And, uh, you know, they, they're just a, as blessed as I have been. And, and I'm hoping that maybe they take a look at me and they, they've learned something from, you know, watching how I do something and it, it just helps them. So we, we've said many times on this podcast that if you want to be blessed, be a blessing. And uh, I just hope that, in some way that these guys, whether I know them or not, maybe they pick up something from one of my videos or magazine articles or whatever. I hope that in some way I've been a small blessing to those folks. You know, you
1: and I both have been on properties, uh, in recent, uh, well, we'll just, I don't want to even put a a time, but let's just say very recently that I had another consultant on that same property prior. And it would have been really easy for us to point out, specific things that we saw on the property that just are not working and had no chance of working Mm -hmm. and put that on there and bash somebody about it and say, see, this is why you need to use us. But what does that really solve? Um, Not only does it, um, you know, that negative press, I think, I think what you started even well before I ever got on involved in real world is is it was really your vision that said we we market by education and if we do a good job educating the facts of who we are and what's going on we have a very good chance of earning someone's business with seed or whatever you know learning to read a seed tag if people really understand it the value proposition is much easier to overcome and i think that's what we've also done with consulting is You know, when you look at our plans that Wes or, you know, the other guys are submitting, um, to you for approval, it's not like anything else. And we just try to differentiate that way versus just getting on and, and making it where it's a competition between both of us. At the end of the day, people are going to choose who they want to work with. It's not our place to go in and, and bash those guys.
0: Yeah. And I think we do some things different, um, you know, the one complaint that I hear time after time from clients about other consultants is follow-up after. There's there's two things. One is follow-up after the visit. You know, being able to talk to that consultant again as they're trying to implement their plan. And, and the other thing is the actual plan that they get. What, what do they get that they can hold in their hand when it's all said and done? And, and I think in those two aspects we we blow away the competition and that's not bright that's just a fact i've never i've been had shared with me a lot of the plans that other consultants have done and looked them over and there, there's none of them that come close to the detail that we do and uh then the follow up uh, i'm telling you I, you know people can call us 5 years after we was on their property and we keep that plan on our computer for reference, so, you know, they can say, hey, I got a question about tree stand number six. Well, we, we're looking at their plan as they're t- we're talking to them. We know what a tree stand number six is. And I think it's that approach that's going to, you know, keep us at the forefront of the whole consulting business, industry, however you want to put it. But if we can somehow raise the bar so that the other client or other consultants rather they do better in the end it's good for everybody it helps
1: the it helps the deer
0: herd that's for
1: sure oh absolutely that's the ultimate goal here for all of us we're all hunters
0: you know i get irritated sometimes and i'll say that if you got a good idea in the hunting industry you got about 30 days to run with it (laughs) i just told terry that before we got on and that's the truth and it irritates me sometimes when you what what irritates me though is when a young guy takes an idea that I know he got from somebody else, whether it be me or whoever, and they run with it like it's their own. Like like they came up with this idea all on their own. No, they've seen somebody else or read it from somebody else or watched a video from somebody else. And and that's something that I've tried to always give credit. I mean, you guys are going to hear me, and you have heard me mention names like Roger Roth or Gene and Barry Wenzel, bobby worthington alan foster guys that when i was young you know taught me things and i pass them on but when i pass them on i try to give credit where credit is due then that's the one thing that does irritate me about some of these younger guys is they don't give credit where they got their idea it's okay that you, you it's not your idea the rope scrape for example was not my idea now a lot of people give me credit for it because i i i kind of basically promoted the idea but i'll be the first to tell you the wenzels came up with the rope scrape i said that from the get-go i'm not taking credit for it i might have put my own little spin on it a little bit but it's if i could tell these young guys whether they are consultants or whatever any word of advice it's to give credit where credit is due that doesn't take away from you if you give credit to someone else that doesn't take away your your uh you know standing or Um, validity, give credit where credit is due and, and pay your dues. And as you do, your business will just grow and flourish. Yeah. We were
1: talking before we got on air about this idea that I have, uh, for betting structure.
0: And the first thing you said is don't talk about it on air. (laughs) So somebody will take it in 30 days, that's for sure. Probably a week they'll make a video out of it.
1: All right. Well, but, let's, uh, the, the next few uh, uh, graphics I have is is pictures that you want to share. And while I'm getting the screens ready to go through, why don't you talk a little bit about, again, this is this is follow-ups for some feedback mm-hmm. we had from last week where people get to see visual things on the podcast mm-hmm. and learn from it. Tell people a little bit of backstory about uh, what you
0: were telling me on, on, uh, before we got mm-hmm. on air. So my schedule from here on out this spring is just, I, I mean, it's chock full. I've got speaking engagements. I, I've got uh, a, a whole list of, uh, consulting jobs to do and just one thing after another. Plus I got a bunch of habitat work I want to do on my farm. So I've slowly started when I get a you know, a couple hours of free time, I've slowly started gathering in some of my trail cameras, and I typically don't do that until about the 1st of March. I let the bucks shed their their antlers, but, you know, really, you don't gain that much because at this point, you know what's on every property. So uh, this week, there was a couple days when it was just foggy as can be. I mean, the, the frost was coming out of the ground, and I mean, midday, you couldn't hardly see a car length in front of you. And I had a couple of cameras that I'd put out very early um i think it was in sept one of them was in september um early september and i had another one that i had not been to since like in the end of october and i had uh, a couple of shooter bucks that had disappeared on me i hadn't got their pictures for quite a while and i thought their pictures might be on one of these two cameras so i went in in that fog and uh where i wasn't going to disturb the deer all that much they couldn't see me coming and uh i I grabbed those two cameras and one of those cameras had over twenty five thousand pictures on it, and it was on a rope scrape and the other camera um had over seventeen thousand pictures on it it was on the it was basically focused over a couple of pear trees so of all those what's that that's over forty thousand pictures forty two thousand plus pictures. I picked out some of the best ones to share with you guys on, on this uh, podcast, and as Terry puts them up, I'll explain a little bit. Um, so you didn't what g- these you didn't give are. me an
1: order to put these pictures right. in,
0: so I just put them in in
1: chronological order. So this first picture that's coming up that you're getting ready to talk about, this is the earliest date that uh, of the picture. You got pictures before this, but this is just the. As we go through them, Don, just remember that these are in chronological order.
0: Okay. Yeah, so this one would have been uh, um, October 14th. This is a camera that had been there since early September on a rope scrape. Now, you guys that are members of the Whitetail Master Academy, you may remember a video that I did um, early last spring, way before things greened up, where I went in and I'd welded up a bracket, a steel bracket, and it's actually bolted to that pine tree. And there there wasn't a good branch to hang a rope scrape where I wanted it Um, because just off to the right-hand side of this screen, I actually have a stand uh, right on the edge of the cover. So I I welded up that bracket, took it in, lag-bolted it to that pine tree and hung this rope from it. And this buck on the 14th, the reason I saved this picture was uh that was the first good buck that had come into that scrape. It was on the 14th of October. I had some like year-and-a-half-old bucks before that, but this was the first one that came in and hit that rope scrape. Now, one thing I want to point out on that rope scrape, you can see the the uh, black tape around there where it's frayed on the end. As we go through these series of pictures, you're going to see that frayed part disappear and what happened was there was a a fawn. I think it was a little buck fawn. But I really never got a good uh, view of his head or a good picture of his head. When Every time he would come along, he would eat that that loose rope on the end. And when I went in, I scented that rope up on that end. And I don't know if he smelled that, tasted it, or whatever. But for whatever reason, he would come along. He would eat them strands off the end of that rope. And you'll see at the very end how, how it's all gone. Yeah. As we got these pictures up, is it okay if I
1: ask questions as we go through? Just oh, absolutely. To, yep. Um, no, go so ahead. I, I know these spots, so it's it's not that I'm trying to tee you up, but I think the people watching it, there's just a lot of things going on in these pictures that I think create good dialogue and maybe ideas for people. So um, you said you have a stand off to the right side of this frame. So we got a big pine tree, probably, what would you guess? That pine tree, 16, 18 inches in diameter that has the bracket. Yeah. And, and what is to the left of it? Is this a transition from open ag field to bedding? And it's kind of just like open, big, mature pines?
0: No, over to the left is a, uh, it's a growed up CRP tree planting. Okay. Um, so there's some oaks and such in there that are probably 15 or 20 feet tall. Um, I went in there and I planted some cedar trees and things like that. Um, it's more open. You can see the pines where they've shaded the ground, but um, the the pines make a corner right there. And you can see the open field straight ahead. And then there's also an open field over to the right where my stand is at. But right. um, so this corner, in- the the deer really like to bed there.
1: So assuming that your stand is on the right, if we have grown-up bedding to the left, I'm assuming that this transition area from thick bedding to kind of open structure to where you have access on the right side of the frame, when the wind is blowing out of that cover during the rut, this would be an area that the bucks are going to be scent-checking, Uh, We call it transition areas from heavy bedding to open, but your access is to the area that's open, and we want that wind blowing out of the cover. And the reason the rope scrape there is just to draw buck attention as they're moving back and forth. I'm making an assumption.
0: You're absolutely right. And uh, my stand is about 15, 18 yards from that rope scrape. and that rope scrape just is something to to grab the buck's attention and maybe stop him as he's cruising through. The other thing I'll throw out is this this buck is still alive that's that's on this scrape in this picture. He's a six-by-six typical, as you can see, a three-year-old buck, one that I got a lot of high hopes for. So um, as we're talking about yearly
1: patterns, Don, this would be something that you said you saved the picture. But we talk about adder, uh, annual patterns. Uh, if this buck is potentially a shooter next year, we would keep this in the back of our mind. Mid-October, most people aren't thinking that you know it's the October lull, nothing's happening. We got a 1227 in the afternoon picture of daylight. Would this be something that if this buck is a shooter, you're going back and looking at his pattern and say, hey, he daylighted or he was in this range uh, you know, whether it's in the middle of October and I want to try to shoot him, I need to be in that stand with the right wind direction,
0: the 12th through the 16th. Well, I'm actually, I would be very shocked if I'm going to target this buck next year. Sure. He's a three-year-old now. He'll be a four-year-old next year, but If this pattern would hold true for another year, then absolutely. Right. But I'm just talking about this
1: time of year when we get a picture of a buck, not this specific one. This would be an example of how you would take this trail camera and put it in the archives to put that annual data in to say, oh, well, somewhere he's shifting out of, you know, summer range with his bachelor group, trying to jockey and go to, you know, fall range, maybe pre-rut. But this would be an example of how we could use annual data. Absolutely. Yep. All right. I'm going to keep asking questions because I got I got a hinge cut tree in the bottom corner. What's going on there? Um, <laughs> I'm messing with you a little that bit. Is a,
0: that's an ash tree that was growing up amongst those uh, pines. And I was just getting it out of the way. Yeah. You got some- when I cut that, you can see that's been cut years ago when I cut that tree um, it was competing with those younger pines. Yep. So yeah, you, you might see a hinge cut tree. You can see actually a, a few of them, but you know, in this case, what that is doing is that's kind of
1: steering that buck into a certain hole coming out close to your stand. So you have that hinge cut ash tree there. You got a down pine tree in the foreground where that other buck, you can't see his head is at, mm-hmm. but that's putting those bucks coming out of that bedding in a certain shoot, which I'm sure is in a strategic area right in front
0: of your stand. And this this was the, the camera that had over 25,000 pictures on it. And the reason that they, these trees are hinge cut is you can see how bare that ground is under those pine trees. And in those 25,000 pictures, I've got thousands of pictures of groups of does coming in and bedded in that brush you can see i think it's a young buck behind that got his head hit behind that other that pine tree that that pile of brush there the does just like to bed around that and they they'll face they'll bed around it facing in every different direction so there may be five six seven does come in and they bed all around that cover that covers at their back they're all facing out but they like to bed in those pine needles and that by hinge cutting those trees We put that tree on the ground uh, to give them some some cover at at ground level where they like to bed. Yeah, I like it.
1: All right, one more observation that I've seen in this picture. There's no dirt scraped back. Again, this is October 14th, and as we go through these Mm -hmm. pictures in the timeline, start watching the ground underneath of it for all of the people watching. All right, so the next picture is going to be a picture on November 7th.
0: Yep. This is just another mature buck coming in. Well, he's not even mature either. He's another three-year-old, actually. So there's two three-year-olds. Both are six-by-sixes, but uh, uh, they look like brothers. The, The difference is one of them has a long brow on one side. This is the one that's got the long brow on the one side and a shorter brow on the other side. Uh the other one has a a pretty short G2 on one side but uh you know just showing these deer in daylight multiple good bucks coming in in daylight hitting this scrape almost a month apart daylight
1: pictures of good bucks uh in daylight mm. I think this one was well, it was what about 4:30 in the afternoon um yep. So right now, uh, let's talk a little bit about rope scrapes. Uh, one of the big questions you get all the time is how far do I hang it off the ground? This picture mm-hmm. shows a really good observation. It's not quite at the, uh, the buck's back. It's kind of like probably four inches down from his spine. And mm-hmm. uh, you even had some coyotes playing with this at, a couple times through the year. Uh, when we're looking at a height off the ground, Don, where do we want that rope scrape to be?
0: Well, this is about ideal right here. Um, I wouldn't want it any lower, but I wouldn't want it any more than six inches higher either. So this is about perfect. Yep. Yeah. So for the people listening, the, the end of the frayed rope,
1: this deer is standing pretty much at a normal posture with his head. His nose is up a little bit, but he's not stretched. And his nose Mm -hmm. is right basically in the area where he can get the scent in a normal position. He's not bent over, but he's not on his back leg standing up, right? Right. Any other things on this one yet?
0: Um, Not really. Okay.
1: All right. We skip to November November 19th. We got a big bear spot underneath of it with a, a good buck in daylight again.
0: Yeah, this was one of those same two bucks. I can't tell which one because his antlers kind of blend in with those branches. But you can see he's definitely got his nose up against that uh, rope. And, uh, you know, when it comes to scenting those ropes, I get questioned all the time. How often do you go in and scent them? Guys think you got to go in and send them once a week, once a month, whatever. One time. One time and, and that's it. And I scented this rope a full two months before. This is November 19th. I put that rope that the camera up and sent that rope back in september two months before those bucks will start working it uh, and and send it one time and a lot of times i go back the the following year this is a brand new rope scrape first year it was up there Uh, sometimes i'll go back the, the next year and i don't even send them a lot of times the deer are already working the scrape under them and you don't even have to send them following year one time you get them going So don't think, that if your rope is in the right spot, you do not have to scent it more than one time.
1: Yeah, and I think the failure that people have is they put them out too early and it has a chemical smell on the rope and then the deer won't use it. And then they, you know, complain that it's not being used. You got to get these, you got to get the scent out. There's no shortcut. We talked a couple weeks ago about now is the time to start putting those out in your yard to get the scent out for the time that you need it. Um, out of curiosity, this is, I know you probably didn't do this, uh, to prepare for the podcast tonight, but it would be interesting as we go back to being on the downwind side of betting to go back and look at the dates on each of these and see which way the wind direction was. Cause now we've had Mm -hmm. four pictures of a buck, good size buck in the same area. And I would bet a pretty good amount of money that these rut. Uh, these November pictures, the wind's blowing out of that bedding area and that's why he's there. Yep. All right. We skipped to December 12th. We got a huge bear spot underneath of this thing. Um, You know, I really think Don that this picture is the only way you could accurately, accurately age the buck except his tails down. So we really can't get the distance <laughs> between the bottom of his, right. uh his jiblies and his
0: rear end hole. So,
1: I don't think we can accurately well, age him
0: in this one. Well, I can tell you from what I know of him, he's four years old. <laughs> <laughs> just a totally different buck than what we'd seen before. Daylight picture, four-year-old buck, same rope scrape. You can see the dirt on the ground. The deer have been, you know, now pawing under that rope scrape. But, uh, you know, once you're, if your rope scrape is in the right spot, just about every buck in the, in the neighborhood is coming past and he's going to work it. Right and, right spot and no chemical smell. Yep. So, you know, again, 25,000 plus pictures. Uh, you're getting to see not even a half a percent of the pictures that were on here. All kinds of young bucks, all kinds of yearlings, two-year-olds, and, and, and even three-year-olds, and maybe even a giant that I'm not going to show you. Yeah. So, um, lots of deer. The other thing you kind of... Uh, you prep people on is you
1: can start seeing some of that frayed rope is starting to get a little bit shorter in this picture where it's starting to get and uh it's amazing what happens here after the first of the year but uh another great buck again starting to use that scrape a whole lot more on the ground a lot more scent on it and then here we got on december 26th um another morning picture Hmm. And we got a squirrel doing a trapeze act, hanging down as a buck's getting ready to sniff it. This is a pretty funny picture.
0: Well, the only reason I saved this picture is because of that squirrel. (laughs) This is the same buck that was in the last picture, actually. Um, Four-year-old buck. And uh, this was a series of photos. And uh, I I guess I maybe should have threw the whole series up. Because uh, that squirrel takes off up the rope and the buck jumps back. And then the squirrel's gone, the buck comes on in, <laughs> comes back in and, and works that rope straight. But uh, you can also see in the background, you can see an, another deer um, just barely there in the background. So Right on the edge of the structure. Yeah. I mean, there was times in, in this where, as I went through the pictures, it was just a whole herd of deer um, in, in the view of the camera going back and forth and, and multiple bucks bucks chasing does just every bit of activity you could possibly imagine seeing from deer and you're going to see some pretty good stuff at the end but uh it, it was just unbelievable how much deer activity was around that rope scrape you know the the thing that pops into my head on this
1: picture is that deer in the background he's just standing there looking and i don't know if that deer you know in the series of pictures moved immediately after this but i can't help but think How many times uh, we as hunters don't take for granted a buck will stand on the edge of structure like that and watch for long periods of time before they commit and we're reaching in our backpack and talking, you know, texting on our phone, standing up, sitting down when we don't even Mm -hmm. think something's there. And that's the only thing that popped in my head is that deer is just standing there how many times do they stand there and lock up just to observe what's going on, whether it was that deer and that squirrel jumping or potential mm-hmm. danger of a
0: hunter predator without committing? Oh, I want to shift the, the conversation just a little to trail cameras, Terry, because, you know, I posted that video on my social media a week or so ago that got a lot of attention. We talked about it on the podcast about the new camera company and uh, you know i get you know every brand of trail camera has its fans and and guys are out there saying i have great luck with this one or that one and and i think what everybody misses is they they think that they put their trail camera out they go check it they've got a bunch of pictures uh the pictures are clear good quality pictures oh this is a great camera folks that what separates a really good camera. From a, a piece of junk, in my opinion, it has nothing to do with the quality of the picture. It's how many pictures does it miss. And I'm telling you, I've, I've tried so many different brands over the years. And I'm not talking I went out and bought one. There, there's one brand of camera. I, I bought 12 of them brand new at one time. And they, they miss. I'm telling you, almost every brand of camera does not get 50% of the pictures that a Reconyx gets. And I'm telling you, I'm not a fan of the Reconyx Company. But their cameras are absolutely the best camera out there. They don't pay me. I'll save the rent. I'm not a Reconyx Company fan, but their cameras are hands down the best. No. And when it comes to hunting giants, you cannot afford to miss half the pictures. If someone wants to argue with me about... Their, their brand of camera is as good as Reconyx. I'll tell you what. You go put your brand on a fence post or a tree with a Reconyx either above it or below it. Let it sit out there in the woods for four or five months. Go back and, and pull the cards on both of them. Tell me how many pictures you get on your Reconyx, how many you get on the other brand. I have yet to find one that's even 50%, not even half. And, and some of them are like 10%. And Man, how many that's the big, How
1: many times is I mean, the mature buck that you're looking for off in the distance like this buck right here? A lot, yep. right? I remember those pictures you got of Trump. You know, the yep. year the year you hunted him, he would be that deer in the back where he's he's skirting it for some reason. Um yeah, you know, the peripheral picture or the re, the the repeat picture, the second third on the blast is is just as important.
0: Mm-hmm. It's the number of pictures that Reconyx gets that other cameras miss is what sets them apart. And then they, everybody wants to say, well, they're way too expensive. I can buy five of these others for one Reconix. Well, no, you can't. You, you can out of the gate, but, but come and talk to me in 10, 15 years when you're still using that first Reconyx and the junk $100 camera You've replaced it four or five or six times in that same period. It's actually the cheapest, if you want to know the truth. If you divide the life of that camera over the cost, it's the cheapest camera out there, and it's the best. And again, I'm not a fan of the company whatsoever. Them jerks ought to get on here and listen to this podcast and send me a check after what I've dealt with with them and the, the sales pitch I give them. Don giving an amateurization
1: uh, lesson (laughs) and uh, uh, inviting a camera company to come on air, all in the same sentence. You can't beat it.
0: All right, let me go to the next one. You're going to get the truth. If you listen to this podcast, you're going to get the truth.
1: That's just all there is to it. All right, so this is the other camera. This is over on the pear tree. I know this spot really well. Um, For Mm -hmm. those people listening, we got two bucks in the background, uh, looks like a couple fawns, and we got a wonky picture right in front of the camera.
0: Yeah, this buck, uh, he's been all over the farm um, all fall, and the next picture is this same buck, but these two pear trees uh, were absolutely loaded with pears. Now, this is at the end of um, December, and the pears are all cleaned up, but I had coyotes eating the pears. Uh, at one time, I had a coyote and a buck. And I, I don't think I included that picture, mm-hmm. did I, Terry? Did I send no, you that one? I don't have that. Um, one. I had a pictures of a series of pictures of a coyote and a buck both eating pears. The coyote had a pear in his mouth under the tree. Um, deer love pears, and you could see some some apple trees and some chestnut trees planted in this little clover patch. Uh, the leaves are pretty much. Uh, covered up the clover, but, uh, that's what that is, is clover growing under those fruit trees. So, uh, th- this buck here is very unique. Obviously. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if he, if he's still around next year and, and what uh, kind of rack he, he grows and well, you know, well, how explain it wraps it. around his head or
1: anything. We, I'm sure we have a lot of people listening. Um, I, by the way, I, I, we talk about our Amish and Mennonite friends. um, the Nicodemus family is offended that you never give out a, a shout out to the GBS on here. So our German Baptist friends, we love you
0: guys too. But uh, he he wanted me to tell you that, by the way. So uh, for well, the pe- you know what, I, I just sent him a message this evening, and I haven't heard from him. I bet that's why. I bet he's mad at me. <laughs> so for the people listening, uh, explain the picture of the buck. Tell us what's happening. When
1: did you first get pictures of this damaged rack, and what do you think happened? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's a picture of a year and a half old buck, and one antler is—it's formed about like the other side, except it's coming out of his head as, at a terrible angle, and it—it it grows across to the other side of his face. So it is on—it's the buck's right antler, but it—it it lays across the deer's forehead, and the main beam is down the left side of his nose and his eye on that side is actually looking between two tines. So this picture is head-on, and as you see him, his eye is between the G2 and the G3. Yeah, the main it beam so is running. really weird. The main beam is running right between his eyes,
1: and he's looking between G1 and G2 with the main beam in between it. So is it did it grow that way, or did he break it, and it's like the pedicle has broke
0: out of its skull, and it's just sitting there? Do you know? Well, based on the the previous picture and and how you can see there, I I think he was injured before he grew it. I I think the pedicle on that deer's head was somehow injured, and uh, it grew that way. You can see how the velvet is still on up there against his head where he he couldn't really rub it off very well. Um, I think that deer was injured before he ever grew that antler.
1: Interesting. So your thought is you wonder what it's gonna turn into next year. If there's skull damage, it's probably gonna be messed up again. Um Oh yeah. Yeah. He'll never have a, a normal rack. Interesting. Yeah, pretty pretty funky looking. But yeah, um, talk a little bit about this picture. So you got a lot of different trees here. Why is clover a good Now that we have this visual up on the screen, why is clover a good product for an application like this? How far apart are those trees and why do you put clover underneath of them?
0: Well, clover is a great companion crop for fruit trees. And in fact, I'm getting ready to establish an orchard here on some of my new acreage this spring. It'll all be in a a clover plot basically around those fruit trees. So clover is a legume. It puts nitrogen in the soil and uh, which the trees will utilize. It's also not real deep rooted, um, you know, if you would put uh, like alfalfa, alfalfa is really deep rooted and will compete with those trees. Um, clover's a lot shallower rooted and it, it also serves as an additional food source. So three really big things. First of all, it's a legume putting nitrogen in the soil. It, it's a secondary food source at that same location where the fruit trees are and then the fact that it's shallow rooted and doesn't compete with those trees are three good reasons um, to have clover. Uh, spacing on the trees, you wanna keep them 25, 30 feet apart. These two pairs are a little closer than that, but uh, you know most of those trees are in a 25 to 30 feet uh, space. Gotcha. I
1: noticed that you have uh, some corrugated white pipe around the base that's separated now that the trunk's gotten bigger. How old are these trees about? Uh, those trees are probably 10 years old. Were they potted or
0: bare root? Yeah, they were potted trees. So I'm guessing but when you put you know. these
1: things out, they were what, inch and, inch and a half diameter trunk? or Well, maybe an inch. Probably. Maybe an inch. So you probably had these uh-huh. in a cage until they got bigger, right?
0: Uh, I did, yeah. So there would Take have been cage a cage around
1: and... this, and then you re- once it got big enough, you removed the cage and... It's actually grown enough it's split open the corrugated pipe to protect the trunk. Right. right. Good visual for people.
0: All right, we're back to the rope scrape again with another buck. Yeah, this is uh, the reason I included this one. This is the same four-year-old that we'd seen earlier. Um, You you can see the end of that rope is about gone. That fawn had started coming along and and eating the, the end of that rope. Uh, you can see it's still pulled out under that the reason I included this one is to show that here Here we are, you know, well into January and the bucks are still hitting that rope scrape So four in months in daylight
1: four months in a row you're getting daylight pictures of of Bucks on this and obviously there's a lot more pictures um, for the people who might have a, a rope that gets chewed like this What's the plan? Are you just going to leave it alone? Or are you going to go in with rubber gloves and move that fray up? Or are you going to try to lower the rope what
0: What's the strategy to deal with this now? I'm just going to leave it. I've got another rope that's the same way, and uh, it's been like that for probably five years, and it's not stopped the deer from in fact it's it's so good that i don't even I haven't even scented that rope in probably three years. And the deer, once they get started, like this rope here, I never have to touch that rope again. There's been enough activity. The bucks know it's there. They're all using it. I don't ever have to scent that rope again. It, it does me no benefit to go in there and scent it. It's it just a chance for me to put human scent on it. I'll go in next year and I'll hang another camera. I'll leave the camera there throughout the entire season and, uh, you know, come back in, in post-season and see what I got. But, you know, the other interesting thing is, this camera had the 25,000-plus pictures. The one on the fruit tree is the one with the 17,000. So I actually got more pictures on this rope scrape than I did the fruit trees. The food source. Yeah.
1: Well, I think this this conversation that we've just had is a great example about how sometimes us as hunters try to overcomplicate things. And, and by overcomplicating them, we put too much pressure on a farm. The number of people that would worry about going back in there and adjusting that rope or refraying that rope or moving that electrical tape band up um, at the risk of a very small detail putting more pressure on it with no return is very high. I think there's a big percentage of people that would be really worried about that and sacrifice intrusion Mm -hmm. for something and end up causing more harm than good.
0: We overcomplicate it a lot as well as checking that camera. That camera was put out before season ever opened and it was not retrieved till after season had closed. Yeah. You, you don't, when you're putting together annual history, you don't need to be going in and checking cameras unless you're using a hundred dollar camera. Then you better go in there. Cause that piece of junk is probably not going to be working half the time. <laughs> All right. I got, um, we're going to save, <laughs> we're going to put question
1: three up. We're going to save, your last picture till the very end of the podcast and uh, answer. The last one is a good one. The last one is a good one. So, so hang around on this
0: one, but let's put question number three up on the screen. Uh, this one comes from Mike Walmhoff from Wanakee, Wisconsin. It says, Don and Terry, I look forward to the podcast every week. You guys do a great job. After watching the video on the master class about CWD and the possibility it may be caused by nutritional deficiencies in the deer's diet. I'm curious if either of you test for CWD on your land. I personally do not because of my distrust of the DNR and their past instances of sharpshooting here in Wisconsin. With the amount of high quality nutrients you both provide, I'm wondering what you are seeing on your properties. Thanks again for all you do uh mike we don't have a testing program in my area where we can you know submit the heads that i know of anyway um for for cwd i would not test anything um, in fact i encourage hunters not to have deer tested even if you see a sick deer i would not report it personally um my my personal choice and opinion yours can vary and that's fine but uh the 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 video that Mike's referring to here is one that we just released on the Whitetail Master Academy this week, and it was a video that was shared to me by the producer, and they asked me to, to put it on my platform because I just have a bigger reach than what they have. And we put it on the Whitetail Master Academy to start to give those folks a, you know kind of a, a preview. It's going to be posted on my YouTube channel at some point, because I think every deer hunter in North America needs to see that video. And, and that video basically is an interview with Dr. Wallach. And if I think his name's Joel Wallach, maybe. Uh, Dr. Wallach is an absolute nutritional expert. Got, he's got a resume that's probably not matched. He actually worked with Marlon Perkins on Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. If you do a search for Dr. Wallach, it's just going to be page after page after page of of websites that, that you can go to. And this gentleman basically, t- two huge things that, that I took away from it. First was, he says there is no such thing as a prion. And that kind of struck me. I mean, he got my attention when he said that. And, and he said that... Uh, you, you know we've got these microscopes that we can find germs, um, we we can find bacteria, um, we we can see single cells, even things smaller. But he says nobody can show you a picture of a prion. If they show you a picture of a prion, it's a drawing. It, it's not a. It's nothing but a drawing. And after I heard him say that, I went and did a search for photos of prions. There is no such thing as a photo of a prion. And he says it's because they don't exist, which I thought was extremely interesting. <clears throat> but then he was comparing, and this makes total sense. He was comparing CWD, um, to like Alzheimer's and people. It, it, when you do a, a slide of the brain matter, it looks the same. And, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't want to ruin the whole video, but, uh, you know, he was saying that you can take an expert and you can show him a, a, a slide of, of a human brain that's got um, Alzheimer's and you can show him a picture of a deer's brain that's got CWD and they can't even tell you which one's the human and which one's the deer. That That's how close they are. And uh, he he's totally against the whole, you know, the sharpshooting and the whole banning on baiting and everything else. And what I find so what I was so um, excited about was he basically, and I had no idea this guy was even existed. And he basically has confirmed what I've been saying or, or agreeing with what I've been saying for years that the, the solution to CWD is nutrition and potentially uh genetic as well. And, he he goes on to describe this guy's done thousands and thousands of autopsies including over over 10,000 on people and just it's just amazing that uh some of these game agencies are taking the steps that they're taking with the the evidence and the research that this guy has done and the thing of it is he's not the only one there is multiple pieces of research done by multiple people that that believe that the answer to cwd is either nutrition or genetics and and yet we've got these game and he also brings in the politics of the whole disease i've been saying for years it's a political disease he brings that into it just i mean i, I got so excited because he just like confirmed everything i've been saying and it was like whenever uh, we had dr strickland on And I was asking him about uh, fetal programming and and what he thought of it. He goes, well, I believe in it so much I wrote a book on it. Well, Dr. Wallach has done the same thing on my views on CWD, and uh, I'm no expert. I, I make it very clear in that video. I do a little introduction before I play that video. I made it very clear I am not a CWD expert, but I don't think there is a CWD expert because these guys that are supposed to be experts, they can't even agree. Yep. I mean they're on totally opposite ends of the spectrum, yep. and uh, I just so that that was a long-winded soapbox no, answer. We're not calling to... the DNR. That's your answer. <laughs> not, absolutely not. And and here's the thing that every deer hunter needs to make that choice. I'm not going to tell them to call or not call. You got to make that choice. But here's the thing: depending on what state you're in, you call the DNR and say, "Hey, I think I got a sick deer here. You need to come and check it out." If that deer turns out to have, have CWD, you you might as well just sell your bow or find another place to hunt miles away because they're coming in and they're going to wipe them out with sharpshooters. And why in the world would you want to help them do that?
1: All right. Let's move on to the next question before we run out of time. We got to make sure we leave time for this last
0: picture you want to show. Man, I was just getting fired up, Terry. I wasn't done on the CWD, rant. Right? No. <laughs> you can save that for next, next one. <laughs> next one is Ellis. Uh, Ober Holzer from Memphis, Missouri says, Dear Don and Terry, we are planning to put out the NutriCrave deer block and was wondering if it would be necessary to put out Maximizer Mineral since a deer block has Maximizer Mineral in it. Also, if we should be putting out mineral, what time do you recommend to start? We really enjoy the podcast and appreciate the godly example that you both leave. Thanks, Ellis. Ellis, the reason I chose your question is because Hunting seasons are ending right now across the country, if they haven't already. And now is when you want to start your supplemental feeding program. If you're serious about managing your deer herd, now's the time to get that mineral out. Now's the time to get those feeders out. I think you want to use everything, every tool at your disposal when it comes to supplemental feeding. I think you want the granular mineral poured out there in multiple locations on a property. I think you want to use the blocks as long as those blocks have the the you know some benefit if, if it's just an attractant block it's probably not much use but uh, you you mentioned the maximizer blocks that have the maximizer mineral in it you, you want the supplemental feed, not just corn you you want a complete feed that's got the right protein fat levels as well as all the the vitamins minerals, and micronutrients so uh, now's the time to start
1: yep um I was talking to a, we got a, a friend of ours, um, we've we've talked about him on the podcast before, Clint Cross from, he's south of Terre Haute on the Indiana side of the river, and we've talked about him because he's he's a resource for guys who want to buy food plot cut down versions of John Deere planters, but he became a real world dealer this, this, this year, and he said that he's already had a ton of business just on this Nutri-Crave block alone since it's outside of season down there. And uh, putting this in combination uh, with his normal program, he said it's been really, really popular in his area. So, check with Real World and uh, if find your local dealer, ask them if they got their shipment in. Some of our dealers already have their shipment in, so they can have this product for you. And if not, they can pre-order it when they pick up their order at our March um, dealer meeting. So, talk to your local dealer, or you can visit online and order them if you want.
0: You, well, you owe me, you owe owe me one for the
1: shout-out, Clint. You owe me one. <laughs>
0: just kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I just talked to a consulting client today that brought up Clint's name, so yeah. uh, I, I know he's getting some seed from him. Yeah, he's a good guy. All right, last question, and it's a long one, and then we'll we'll finish up with your picture.
1: Oh, my computer froze. Here we go. It's coming.
0: All right, there you go. All right. This one comes from Matt Kendall from Troy, Ohio. It says, Don, I am an avid listener of the podcast and appreciate you sharing your knowledge in this format. I have learned so much about hunting mature bucks from your podcast. I have great respect for you as a person and a hunter. With that being said, I don't agree with everything you say, (laughs) and I would like to provide you an opportunity to rant. (laughs) I am a 57-year-old able-bodied man more than capable of shooting a compound bow. I am fortunate enough to have over 1,000 acres to hunt. Of those 1,000 acres, I only own 11 acres. I have, to, I have a modest goal of shooting a 150 or better deer. I run about 25 cameras. Most of the properties I hunt are open ag areas with small woodlots. I cannot make improvements on the properties I hunt other than my small piece, which I have improved with a food plot and switchgrass. From the time the season started, I only have 10 pictures of a couple 150-inch deer on these properties. I went to the crossbow to improve my odds on the very limited opportunities that I must kill a deer of this caliber. 64 sits this season and have not seen one while hunting. I am not burning spots out and I am only hunting under the right conditions except for a box blind that I will hunt on a sketchy wind. Do you still think it is wrong to hunt with a crossbow under these circumstances? If the rules were changed to not allow crossbows and that increased the number of mature bucks, I would welcome this change. My biggest deer is a 150. With a week of season left here in Ohio, I likely will not be shooting a buck this year. Prayers for your daughter and your family in this difficult time. Kendall. Your question was, do I think it's unfair to be shooting a crossbow under these conditions? No, I I think it's – I'm not saying it's unfair. It's my opinion that crossbows should be allowed to be used, but they should not be allowed in the archery season for able-bodied hunters. That's just my opinion. Uh, If somebody has a different opinion, that's fine. I I mean, I I don't hold it against people if if they – hunt with a crossbow if they love crossbows um i do not talk to them any different than if they were shooting a recurve it's a matter of respecting the other hunter but that doesn't mean that i shouldn't be able to have my opinion and i think that's what it really boils down to is that i I get lamb blasted for my opinion about crossbows and shouldn't i be entitled to my opinion I'm fine with you shooting a crossbow. I've had people shooting crossbows on my property, sitting in the same blind with me, with a mechanical broadhead on the end of it, and I never said one single word to them. Not one word did I say to them, because it didn't matter. That was their choice. It's not, even on my property, it's still their choice. So you guys that get all fired up about Don's opinion on crossbows, I don't, hold your opinion against you because you disagree with me Um, I I don't I I guess I just have a hard time accepting that I'm not allowed to have an opinion on on something and if you're fine with if you're happy shooting your crossbow and it's legal do it it doesn't matter what I think that's fine I'm a
1: little (laughs) distracted I'm sorry oh I
0: just, no got,
1: I just got a notification from a cell camera that a Toyota Tacoma with Illinois plates just drove through the property on the middle plot in Illinois. And imagine what—it's well, really? it's got a Biden bumper sticker in the back window. I'm not—I'm not, I'm not kidding. You, I got a driver's license. You have a license. I do have a license plate number go figure a trespasser with a Biden decal in the back of his truck go figure
0: well that guy will be getting a visit from Mr. Game Warden yep sorry i was a little distracted i missed part of your rant but Well, you, you handled that way better than i would have i'd have been i'd have been walking off the set and grabbing my phone and yeah. calling the cpo
1: yep all right so let's let's have a little fun here don so to... As I get this, uh, this next picture ready to go, we're going to have a lot of people. I can just picture our buddies Ray and Aiden, if they're going to be seeing this picture, them giggling at each other, thinking about the, uh, the mini corn cob beers on the salad bar at Yoder's. And then uh, we're also probably going to get some hate mail on this one, but that's okay. We think it's funny.
0: Yeah, this picture was at the rope scrape. This buck <laughs> was chasing this <laughs> doe around he he chased that doe around for a half an hour and then she finally stopped right in front of the camera and you can see this was on december the 5th but uh that's one of those six by six bucks uh that we showed earlier on that rope scrape but uh he got her done
1: so we talk about um you know obviously it's a funny picture but we talk about when to be hunting in november um we got a 41 degree evening um on Dece- or, uh, december 5th so talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the date of december 5th and we're still seeing a a, a
0: doe getting bred well i mean they get bred uh, during the entire fall i mean the, the concentration of does coming in heat is in the november rut here in the midwest right that changes in different parts of the country But they're not all going to come in then. Right. So, again, we're talking
1: bell curve. As Dr. Strickland Mm -hmm. says, you never say always and you never say never. You play the bell curve. And uh, I think that's an interesting picture just from a a time date standpoint where all the guys are going to say, oh, it's a secondary rut or it's a trickle rut. Or we've heard it all every year.
0: (laughs) Everybody's got an idea. That's all right.
1: Well, I hope people yep. like uh, more of a visual approach. We kind of changed up the order of the podcast tonight. Leave us some comments below. Uh, send us a message. Um, we prefer the comments below. Any any kind of engagement like that it helps the algorithms point people that are watching this type of content to, to come over. We've gotten a lot of new listeners recently, so we hope that doing this is uh, helpful to people to give some visual of the properties and projects we're working on we'll try to continue to do more of it if
0: that's what you all want right don absolutely we appreciate your feedback i appreciate the support you've given us in so many different ways through listening to the podcast uh purchasing real world products and uh you know if we can help make things better and maybe improve your hunting success uh, we're here to do it so tomorrow morning i'm getting up and making my way back to down
1: around Western Kentucky to the scene of the incident where a couple years ago, Austin and I left a charity event in Guthrie and we're chasing, being chased by a tornado coming home that night. We stopped at a hotel. The roof got ripped off of the neighbor hotel and I'm going to be doing a consulting visit there uh, tomorrow. Uh, kind of in the same area that we got caught by that tornado a few years ago.
0: You know, I was there on Monday of this week there at guthrie i i I did a a consultation for a a client down there and we went to this property and they had another tornado there about two weeks ago and as we was walking through this guy's woods there was like pieces of siding and pieces of uh insulation and just and it was from that tornado and they said that it was it had carried 15 miles the The tornado hit 15 miles from there and it was dropping this stuff pieces of metal uh pieces of shingle in this guy's woods it was it was kind of scattered all over the place there so uh you ever thought about how many
1: animals those things pick up off the ground when those tornadoes go through i mean not just deer but all kinds of animals just get sucked up in that Mm -hmm. thing and go for a ride it's unbelievable what nature can do
0: yeah for sure
1: Well, be safe out. You're going consulting tomorrow also, Mm -hmm. aren't you?
0: No, I'm going to uh, meet my kids for, uh, well, my son-in-law Clint's birthday was a couple weeks ago, and my daughter Andrea's birthday is Sunday the 28th when this podcast released. I'd like to ask for prayer for her. She's uh, the one battling cancer. She has to go in on Fridays to get a blood test before her chemo on Monday and her white blood cells have to be at a certain count, or they won't allow her to do chemo. And when she went in today for that blood test, her blood, her white blood cells were the lowest that they've ever been, um, below that number uh, where she can take chemo. She's hoping they'll still let her take chemo on Monday, but uh, the, the, she's got three more rounds to go, and it just seems like each one gets a little tougher and a little tougher. And then she's got a surgery and then she's got six weeks of radiation after the surgery. So she's still got a long ways to go. And, um, there's not a day goes by somebody doesn't ask me about her. And, and I appreciate that. And if you guys would continue to pray, it'd be much appreciated. Yep. Well enjoy that time. Also pay
1: attention to the speaking engagement, uh, on the website of real world. And we posted on our social media, you're going to be heading to Iowa, uh, the 1st of February, for an event out there so make sure you check those uh, announcements and and uh make arrangements with the promoter or the organizer of the event too if you need more questions answered so outside of that yep. good episode thanks for the extra
0: effort with pulling those trail camera pictures don yep we'll do it more often so god bless everyone have a great week take care chasing giants has been brought to you by asio camo Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingrich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.